गुरुदेव ऐसा गुरु परंपरा की जाए बहुत भक्त बिंदगी जाए बहुत प्रेम अनंदी इवनिंग वेलकम नाम धर्म ऐसे आप ही हैं सो मैंने क्वेश्चन सुनाए यस question is with regard to the uh, idea really the definition of bhagavan that was penned by parashara one of the compilers of the vedic uh, uh, texts and uh, father of vyas hmm? and he he his definition was uh, that the, the bhagavan bhagavan uh who means literally who possesses all uh, opulence and his idea was that he who possesses all opulence is all attractive because we're attracted to the various opulences that uh, we see in people who are attracted to wealth strength fame beauty knowledge and renunciation these are the six he listed hmm. So, wealth, as we were talking about the other day, so you're reminding us of that. Uh, we're attracted to wealth, people who have it, strength, uh, to, uh, to beauty, to um, f- fame, to a uh, person who has knowledge, and a person who's detached also becomes very mysterious and attractive. <clears throat> and so, who has these in full, the idea is, is, is the full idea of the Godhead. And so Krishna has these opulences in full, whereas other manifestations of divinity, which we would consider different uh, expansions and avatars of Krishna, have manifest them uh, to one extent or another one or two or three or four or something like that. Whereas Rupa Goswami has written a book entitled Lagu Bhagavatamrita. And in Lagu Bhagavatamrita he goes through all the different avatars and expansions and so forth in the Hinduism and explains them in relation to Krishna and uh, demonstrates, among other things, this point very interestingly. Um, and uh, and therefore, uh, we can also say the person who has them all in full, we refer to as Krishna, because Krishna means all attractive. At the same time, as I mentioned and you're bringing up, there are two other avatars of Krishna that also have them in full. Ramchandra in a Sita Ram Hanuman 
Leela, it's a human-like Leela. And that Leela, he's human-like, but he's too moral. <laughs> he's too dharmic to be human. It's impossible to be that dharmic, is the idea. Uh, but uh, he exhibited all six opulences. Then, then the, uh, this was brought up on the day of uh, Nishinga's appearance, and he also said to be as such. Perhaps because of the fact that he is also directly manif- Krishna manifest in in relation to his devotees' particular circumstances uh, to uh, serve the need of the hour, so to speak, a particular form was uh, required, and in that form re- retired, so to speak, to to Vaikuntha, where he's worshipped in with reverential love. <clears throat> so. You know, while I, while Narasimha and Ramchandra uh, are said to manifest uh, all six opulences, nonetheless they're more full, even in Krishna. And your question is, what about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Of course, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna. He's not an avatar of Krishna. Hmm? He's not an expansion of Krishna. That does not make any theological sense if we understand Krishna uh, properly. Hmm? As I mentioned last night briefly in our discussion. Uh, Krishna has four qualities that uh, no other avatar, neither Narayan, from whom avatars descend in the world, have. And those are Prema Madhurya, Rupa Madhurya, Guna Lila Madhurya, and Venu Madhurya. Madhurya means sweet. And sweet also implies the human likeness of his Lila that makes it uh, accessible to us and endearing to us. When someone has, if God becomes human-like, it's very charming. If he acts like one of us, so to speak, then this is considered to be very uh, sweet. We wouldn't expect God to have the kind of um, dilemmas of humans and the and the um, shortcomings of humans. We find them apparently in Krishna, and that becomes very charming. So all these qualities are qualities of sweetness. So he has a sweet form that um, if we look at the different, uh, in in the Hindu pantheon of the gods and goddesses, Krishna is the most sweetest, charming, two-armed form, and he's youthful, never aging beyond like 16, something like that. So adolescence is very, very charming time is the idea. So anyway, uh, he has a form that is very extraordinary. Prema, rup, rupa Madhurya. He has a Venu Madhurya. It's Krishna that carries the flute. That's his weapon. So <laughs> that is very sweet. He charms people, in other words, rather than battling them to, like Kali or something like that, uh, wielding a trident and poking people, uh, push them in the right direction and so forth. Negative impetus she provides. Uh, For example, Ram has the bow and arrow of Ramchandra. So he has the flute. Venu Madhurya. Then uh, Lila Madhurya. His Leelas are particularly sweet and charming. That's a fact. And he has prema madhuri, which means he's surrounded by devotees, Im- 
who are imbued with a particular sweet kind of preem, love, that he is the object of and thereby corresponds with. Hmm? And so because he alone has the prema madhurya, he alone then would be the manifestation of divinity that would want to taste that prema madhurya. Ryan doesn't even have the experience of the prema madhurya, for example. Hmm? And it's Krishna who wants to taste the prema madhurya of Radha. Hmm? Seeing it and awed by it, so to speak, in wonder of it, he wants to taste it. So that is then the uh, genesis, esoterically speaking, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he is Krishna in an extended leela of himself. I've described it as a reverse jacket. If you have a jacket that has gold and bodies, gold and has black trim on the outside, and then you reverse it, it has gold body and black trim. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's leela is reverse out of Krishna leela. Krishna is the object of love. Hmm? In, the, in in his Leela. And now in Gaur Leela, he tries to become the lover instead of the object of love, take the position of Radha. Hmm. So, your question is, does Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then he have all six opulences? And of course, yes, the answer is yes, because he's Krishna. Hmm. Of course, he's Krishna in a particular mood and so forth. But um, um, there are, of course, many descriptions of his beauty, charm by the very exalted devotees and associates of his. Many, many songs, poems have been written about his beauty. The cutting of his hair during the sannyas ceremony was a huge event hmm. yeah, amongst his uh, associates and uh, and uh, family members and friends from, from Navadweep. In Navadweep, he's not a sannyasi. Navadweep corresponds with Brindavan, Leela, the Navadweep Leela of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was a youth, corresponds with Krishna's Leela in Vrindavan. When Krishna leaves Vrindavan to go to Mathura to kill Kamsa, in Gaur Leela, the corresponding Leela for that is that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu leaves Navadweep and goes to take sannyas hmm? and establish Dharma by preaching as a sannyasi and so forth. And all of that preaching is meant to show people how to enter into the Navadweep Leela, which is, which corresponds with the Vrindavan Leela. So, anyway, he was very, very, uh, many descriptions of his beauty and charm. His, uh, sometimes the uh, wealth, uh, another option, beauty, wealth. You're wondering how he's wealthy. He, he, he wasn't living in the palace, but sometimes the wealth the, uh, is considered to be dharma, hmm? wealth of spiritual principles and righteousness and so forth. So as a sannyasi, he exhibited extraordinary wealth hmm, of dharma and also the opulence of, of renunciation, very extreme. And, the, and knowledge is a corollary of renunciation. If you have knowledge, you'll be detached. So, in, you know, in Navadvipi, he was called Nimai Pandit. His, his scholarship was, in, was incredible. The big scholars would come at that time. It was a place of learning. And if anyone was... Um, any scholar was um, to be recognized to have to have a debate in Navadweep and see how he fared and so forth. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was defeating the great pundits and much more, uh, much older persons than himself. So as a boy, he was called Nimai Pandit, so wealth, 
beauty, knowledge, renunciation, um, strength. Um, again, I, I think uh, strength may also, viryasya uh, may also be sometimes equated with adherence to to spiritual practice and, and so forth. So wealth, strength, fame, famous. He's famous all over India. There are, just, there are numerous biographies written about him, of his associates, of his 64 uh, uh, primary associates, 54 of them were kavis, hmm. were themselves known as pundits of the time, poets and scholars and so forth. So they weren't ordinary people of the time writing about him and glorifying, but very um, well-educated uh, people were making the kind of statements that we find in the text today about him. So wealth, faith, fame, strength, knowledge, beauty, and renunciation. Also, of course, with regard to wealth, if we want to think of it in terms of um, economic well-being, there are many a number of stories of how he, after his father passed, and his mother had nothing and was concerned, and he would manifest gold and, and so forth to provide for the house and, and so on. So he, he showed that wealth was at his disposal, so to speak. Um, but his lila leading as it does to sannyas um, didn't make for, for keeping a lot of wealth, but he had the wealth in another sense of Jagannath Puri. He went to Jagannath Puri, seaside um, uh, place of pilgrimage where the fabulous Jagannath temple is, and the king of Puri was very powerful, he, he's called Bajapati, which means Lord of Elephants. That means he was able to keep a herd of elephants like you might keep a couple of dogs, and they eat like a couple hundred pounds of food a day, so you had to be very wealthy to to uh, keep pet elephants. Um, and he was a very powerful king. The Muslims could not enter into his um, jurisdiction. It was um, it remained a Hindu place even during the Muslim invasion. And the Jagannath deity there was uh, protected by Pratapurudra, um, Gajapati um, Raj. And he was converted by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's ecstasy. Hmm? And the explanation of that ecstasy by Sarvabhoma, the guru of, um, of the king, who also became a follower of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that Sarvabhoma is listed in the encyclopedia as the most uh, the famous logician of India. Hmm? He became a disciple of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Again, his, uh, that's an example of the, the knowledge of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, how he converted Sarvabhoma is very extraordinary. But um, with regard to the king, Pratapurudramaraj, when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu left Jagannath Puri to go uh, to Vrindavan, hmm, the king spent his entire treasury, his entire um, savings, Building monuments to the places that he stayed, he, he slept here. Built a monument. He crossed the river here. He built until and he followed the trail of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with such until he ran out of money. Hmm. So, in effect, the wealth of, of, in Jagannath Puri was a f- stronghold of Hindu um, royalty and, and, and wealth. It was all at his disposal. Of course, as a sannyasi, he wouldn't. He didn't touch it and get involved with the wealth, but it was uh, uh, 
there to be to be spent on him as the king so determined under his influence so wealth fame strength beauty knowledge renunciation they're all there but the but the uh, the knowledge and renunciation are, are very much emphasized because they are were manifest for the sake of enticing us and and the common people and and, and into the fold so to speak they were used they were employed in that purpose for that purpose of outreach. Hmm? Does that help? Yeah. Yeah. What else? Yes. I still have this confusion with the, the deity of India. Because we see, like in the history of Vaishnava, someone said devotees worshipping the deity in the world of separation. The deity is right there. And it's said so what do you mean by worshipping in the mood of separation? Like uh, Vishnu Priya, for example, was, was worshipping by the first deity of Mahaprabhu in the mood of separation. But if, if Mahaprabhu is there in the deity, then how can you worship, worship in, in separation if he is right there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, there are... Um, uh, is there are in in Madhura Rasa, hmm, in particular, there are four kinds of uh, vipralamba separation. In other rasas, yoga viyoga, there are also different types of separation and corresponding types of union because the lila moves like the ocean, the high tide of union. And the low tide of separation. Krishna goes is with his family. Then he goes into the forest herding cows, and and all the forest wakes up, and his coward friends and uh, are alive, and the main others are in separation and, and longing. And then he comes back, and there's union. So this is a, ty- a particular type of separation and union that we find in 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 the lila. When Krishna leaves Vrindavan, apparently he goes to Mathura and Dwarka for a long time, and he comes back. That's another type of separation. There's a short period of separation, long period of separation, and corresponding unions. Mm-hmm. There's also a separation that occurs um, in the devotees who are pursuing prem, and they develop love for Krishna without having met him, by hearing about him. Mm-hmm. Um, they may hear about him, chant about him, worship the deity, as you're talking about, but he hasn't talked to them yet. It's just like, let's say, I find somebody at school that I have a crush on, and I'm there with them, I see them, I love them, I might even send a note, or somebody else might say something and say, you know, he loves you, you know. But they have not yet acknowledged it. Hmm? So that's a kind of separation. It's called purvarag. Purvarag. Purva means before. So before, in the budding attachment, before there's any confirmation on the other side, there's a, he's there, but he's not there yet. He hasn't confirmed. Hmm? He hasn't reciprocated in such a way to say, I feel the same way. So that's a type of separation, and this is the this is the first 
and this also occurs in Sakiras and Dasiras and Vatsali Rasa. Hmm? It's not called Purvarag there, it's called um, Utkantita, Utkantita. So the devotee will see the picture of Krishna, worship the deity of Krishna, and become deeply absorbed internally and so forth. But uh, waiting for that uh, that confirmation, that's a kind of separation. And there's, there's a corresponding union um, for that separation. And there's corresponding union for the other types of separation. There's a third, there's a fourth in Madhurya Rasa, as we were talking about that. Um, and that's called... Prema, when the prema vajita. Hmm. So there's there's union in the there's separation in the union. Hmm. Devotee is with Krishna, and 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 then feels that he knows that he's going to be leaving, <laughs> and so they start to feel separation even in his presence. Hmm. You know that soon he's going to go, something like that. Uh, so there is separation even in union, and there, and but primarily what 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 the way you're talking about it, it relates to utkantita in sakidasi vatsali or or prema, what did I say? Purvarag in in Madhurirasa, a type of separation that, and this is the way through through the through the through the kind of low tide, if you will, or the dark. Use a Catholic term. Dark night, I think it's Catholic, dark night of the soul, something like that. Hmm? St. John of the Cross, yeah. The dark night of the soul. Then there's reciprocation and union and then the high tide. and yeah. so, so we enter. Therefore, in Shikshastakam, we find the last two verses of the Shikshastakam's eight verses are about prem. And the first is one about separation. Hmm? He's showing the way. Through the different stages, and when we come to Prem, which is the final stage, the entry mark, entry um, way, the gate to uh, Prem is through separation. He, he expresses deeply there, and then in the next verse, there's something about about union also. So, yes, there, there can be separation in the presence of Krishna. Does that help? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, it has to be <coughs> to probably it would be a very fundamental question but it's something I don't I wonder about. Um, so th- these statues that we're looking at here, the Murtis, um, appear to me to be representations. Um, mm-hmm. And so I wonder, um, I understand the value of image and representation, but I wonder why we cook for them, um, why we treat them as if they can eat why we keep a separation for them and for us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They are representations of Krishna, and um, they are symbolic representations in a sense, and they are approached with different types of language and ritual procedures and so forth, which I've talked about. A realm of ritual is kind of taking elements from this side, from the material side, and, this, and there's elements from the spiritual side, that, and there's a meeting there, and that's meant to take you to beyond the realm of ritual to the spiritual realm proper itself, hmm? where Mother Yasoda will say, come and eat, Krishna. He won't say, oh, uh, Krishnaya, Namaha, and ring a bell, and, and do mudras, and so on and so forth. 
which is all part of the realm of, uh, of ritual. <clears throat> so that in that regard, it should be noted that Archon, this is the, the form of bhakti, the, the deity worship, tends to be reverential. Hmm. Um, therefore, in Ragmarg, in our path, it it's doesn't always play as prom- doesn't play as prominent a role as hearing, chanting, and meditating, because it does foster some type of uh, there's uh, some reverence and distance. But sometimes we need to pass through that, and it's helpful to enter into a life of intimacy. So there 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 is some prominence for deity worship. But in other lineages of Vaishnavas that are, you know, the goal of which is reverential love, Archon is very prominent. The deity worship is very, very prominent. Less prominent in, in Ragmarg. However, um, here nonetheless. So, um, the idea is that they are symbolic representations, but but of what? They are not symbolic representations of an impersonal absolute, but symbolic representations of a personal absolute. And so we want to culture a relationship with the personal absolute. And so these are manifestations of the Godhead for devotees to kind of practice that in a sense. So all of the things that you would do, just like if you would think to yourself, if I had a servant who would do whatever I want, what would I have them do? And so forth. Hmm? And so um, um, in a personal relationship with God, in Leela, Krishna will eat and dance and so on and so forth. So they, we engage in all of those things, all of the things that you would do for yourself, which would be Atmendriya, serving your senses, we do Krishnendriya for the, with, for the service of Krishna's senses, is the idea. And, of course, now the deity is, is constructed out of metal or stone or wood and so forth, but it has its formation, really, in the heart of a devotee. Hmm? And so the devotee who carries and experiences Krishna, for example, in his heart... Hmm? for the sake of others who don't have that experience but would like that experience, he or she may manifest a temple and the deity form hmm, of the Lord in the heart. So in one sense, the deity is the heart of the Acharya hmm, appearing before us that we can address and attend to and so on and so forth. And so um, when we do that, there are certain procedures when it's, it's very, very powerful. Hmm. Um, when we engage in the deity worship in due course, what happens is that the deities do talk to the devotees, and there are many, many examples of it. Hmm. Um, as the devotees, uh, in the context of the ritualistic worship, start to uh, uh, transcend their conditions, and there are all types of conditions that are required for the deity worship that help the person participating in it focus very intensely. It's very powerful. And um, as their senses become absorbed, they start to get experience of the difference between themselves and the body. And as they do, and begin to step into, onto the ground of being, so to speak, the deity starts to lose its apparent material um, 
quality. Hmm? And there are many, many examples of deities speaking to the devotees and um, um, uh, giving giving uh, directions. There was a whole temple. There's a famous temple of um, in India, modern Mohan temple that was built on the basis of Sanatan Goswami's deity complaining that he didn't have enough salt in the in the meal that was being cooked, which was only unleavened bread because he was that's all he had. So at least you could give a little salt. He said, he said I'm poor. I don't have any salt. <laughs> You know, you, you came to me, I have to eat what I offer, or something like that. And the, so the deity spoke with him. And then, just to give you an example, there's many, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories like this. He used to keep this deity and hang him, hang him from a tree on a swing. Hmm? And, uh, and then he would make this unleavened bread and offer it, and that's all he had. One day the deity said, well, do you have any salt? He said, you know, I, I'm poor, I don't have any salt, no. You know, so... Uh, you know, next thing, and if I give you next, you'll want ghee. Next, you'll want you know this, that, and the other thing. You know, and I'm, I'm a renunciate. I don't have nothing. So they had this discussion with the deity, and um, th- this is a type of amtar darshan, internal darshan. A person can be worshiping the deity and ha- be having this type of experience, but it's only seen by him. Hmm? It's not seen by others. It's an internal experience. Hmm? So what happened in this instance, for example? Then um, that late that night, a, a, a barge got stuck in the Jamuna, the river, hmm, just down below. And it was a salt barge. And a, a, a merchant was taking his salt to a distant place to sell it and so forth. And, um, and, and a boy appeared in the night and gave him some instruction about the nature of the river and where to turn or something like that and, and the barge went on. And so then he, he sold his salt and he came back. And um, when he came back, he took a good percentage of the sale from his, of his salt and gave it to Sanatana to build a temple. Because hmm. that boy said, well, I, I want a temple up on the hill. And so Sanatana was amazed. And he, he realized that Krishna, who's non-different from the deity, if there's a symbolic representation of Krishna, Krishna can be fully present there as well if he likes. So he, he appeared, he freed this barge and gave him the money so that he could build a temple. And it's a famous temple now, and he gets lots of salt. <laughs> that deity, among other, 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 among other things. And there are hundreds and hundreds of stories like this and experiences of devotees. In the uh, in the context of archan of the deity, in other words, they what happens is by by the worship, they develop, they 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 the ingress of bhava hmm, comes within them, and so the deity takes on a life is animated by the bhava, hmm, and and they have an internal um, rapport with the deity that appears external to them, but usually is only perceivable uh, by them personally, rather than maybe perhaps other people in the audience. But then there are stories like this that tell the audience that this is going on and so forth. Many, many stories. Uh, hmm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the story of the salt barge and so forth. He could have said, the deity told me, you know, he wanted salt. And people were, yeah, yeah, sure, you know kind of thing, but then there's a whole temple that's built. And so Krishna kind of goes out of his way in the form of the deity at times 
to show the public who who is his, really his devotee. But the deity won't speak to just anybody because then you, you wouldn't be prepared for that. You'd be too busy. You have other desires. <laughs> and uh, he would say, okay, you know, I want this, I want that. Uh, so he's only going to talk to somebody who's ready to, is, is really surrendered and so forth and that kind of thing. So there are many, many stories like this. And so the devotees worship the deity hmm, as if Krishna is there. Hmm, and he is. And they also worship him as the, as the heart of our guru has manifested the deity. This is in his heart he's worshiping and experiencing, and he kind of has manifested an external form of that for us to participate in, and and it's 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 very very um, it's uh, I mean the devotees can test, testify here even that once they get the mantra initiation, the second initiation, then they have uh, the it's um, uh, required for for the deity worship. They often have very profound experiences, and then it's why you'll find. In Vaishnavism, devotees are very attached to certain deities. Certain deities will reciprocate with them, will, will dance on the altar, and they'll see it, and they'll start, they'll, they'll cry, and so forth. Um, and many, many years ago, in, in, in Prabhupada's temple in Los Angeles, uh, the Jagannath deity spoke to me one night, and it was very extraordinary, and I was so humbled by that. I went, I found a, a van in the parking lot, I crawled in and wept and wept. And, and um, so it's very, uh, there's great potential there. And, and these stories are there to, um, testimonies I should say, they're very encouraging to the devotees and then they, they get minor experiences that are very confirming uh, on a regular basis. Minor experiences of ecstasy. They feel ecstasy. In, in serving the deity, hmm. they don't feel like they're worshiping a statue, hmm. because it's just like you take uh, you take the book, the Bhagavad Gita. It's a book, right? It's paper, in ink, and glue, hmm. and um, you could take it and throw it in a fire, right? But if you approach it on its terms, then you'll find it to be worshipable. Hmm. You'll want to keep it on high and venerated and, and so on and so forth because what it really is and the same holds for the deity is a meeting between the temporal and the eternal this is what I call the realm of ritual where that which is beyond form materially speaking words and thought appears in, 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 in a form constituted of material elements and, uh, and so forth or thought on the, on the pages of the book and so forth but if you approach them properly on their terms, as they explain, then you get an experience that's, that's, that, 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 that is beyond the material. Like if you take the Bhagavad Gita at heart, you find this is taking me to eternity. So you, you, you have great regard for the book. I remember when Prabhupada's um, Bhagavatam editions first, um, first came out. Uh, it was a very prof- profound experience uh, for me. Uh, I won't go into the whole, whole story, but uh, I, I felt they should be worshipped. These books, you know, uh, put them on the altar and and uh, so forth. This is a long story, but uh, but um, um, it's a similar idea. The book, the deity, the material elements, apparently yes, and just but different eyes will see differently. And the, and the, we are we are we have imperfect senses. 
So by our senses, we make mistakes. We hear something, we think it's one thing, it might be something else. We see something, it might be something else. You have glasses, I have glasses. But in Vaishnavism, we, we learn to see Shastra-Chakra through the eyes of the, of the sacred texts rather than through our own eyes. We don't rely on imperfect senses for evaluating uh, an, an experience. We rely on the sacred texts we learn to hear with our ears, so to speak, hearing from sadhus and so forth. And with a philosophical eye, just like the guru is thought, you have to, he eats, sleeps, and, and uh, has indigestion and so forth. So he's very ordinary. But then if he sits on a seat and talks, sometimes we think, well, he's not so ordinary. He's got interesting insights and it's compelling and, and, and so forth. And if we have close experience, uh, and, uh, we, we may get another picture. But there's also the possibility we may just, familiarity breeds contempt. And so guru is said to be, in our tradition, like a fire. So you, 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 you can't get too close to fire, but you can't stay too far away. You, know, you need heat. You need to be able to cook. But if you get too close, you could, you could misunderstand. Hmm? It's also possible, um, and harm yourself. And once, so the guru has to kind of find different disciples from different backgrounds and different lifetimes and so forth. Some can be closer, and and some need a little more distance, and in order to to flourish. Hmm? So that's a bit of a, a bit of an art, um, but that's the idea in general. And there's a long, long tradition of the deity worship and powerful, powerful experiences that devotees um, get from that. And so there are, there are very, some very, very famous deities also, famous for what they've done um, and their stories. And, and in India, thousands of pilgrims, pilgrims will go to that deity. Uh, and, you know, there's a fair amount of external confirmation of it and so on and so forth. Does that help? Yeah, could you say a little bit more about why we keep a separate kitchen for them and a separate kitchen for us and why we keep it? Yeah, yeah. Well, the idea there is that um, that um, in what's called charanagati or surrender, um, the central kind of piece of that, it's sixfold, is dependence. There's a, we culture a sense of depe- that we are dependent entities. Hmm? We're dependent upon God. And so, as we are dependent upon God as units of consciousness, we have derived bliss and derived existence. Uh, rather the independent existence, independent bliss, is that's inherent within us and so forth. Um, that's the one side of us. Then we have the biological and psychological side. Now that's also dependent upon God, but it might not be as clear that, that, that that's the case, and we may fend for ourselves, and we, we eat primarily to live, right? So this eating is very, very fundamental to our existence. We are all supposed to eat to live rather than live to eat, but... We also are living, we won't live if we don't eat. So um, what Vaishnavism seeks to do hmm, is to connect this very primal biological necessity of eating hmm, with the pursuit of our enlightenment. hmm? And so you've got the low end of our necessity to eat hmm, and using it in such a way 
dealing with it in such a way that it fosters not only one's good health and, and physical maintenance and so forth, but also and more so one's spiritual growth. So we, 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 that is the whole idea of the prasadam, hmm? um, that they cook as they would for themselves, for example, but they then offer all the food to the deity first. And the idea is they live, we live on the remnants, whatever comes back hmm, from the offer. We live on the remnants. And so we, this very basic thing that you would do for your own sustenance, so to speak, it's kind of like, uh, it's like a, it's, it's beyond fasting because you, it's, uh, it's, uh, fasting is kind of like, well, and I don't want to take from the environment, hmm? So much, so I, you know, I don't ex- exploit. I live only on air, something like that. But there's no way to get around that. You have to at least breathe once a month or something. You have to eat something. But we offer everything that we eat first to Krishna, hmm? and so in that way we also engage the cows hmm? who give the milk, the vegetables, the fruits, and so forth that we're serving here and watering and so forth. The, the, the product of that all goes to the deity. Hmm? And so these ordinary activities, particularly gathering one's food and all that's involved in that, is, is, is spiritualized, so to speak. Hmm? The very thing that kind of perpetuates our material existence is turned into an instrument for uh, promoting and experiencing our uh, spiritual potential. Hmm? And so we grow the food, we, then we, 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 with all in Krishna consciousness like this, so Krishna's plum tree, it's coming very nicely, we pick the plums, we give them to Krishna, we prepare them in a certain way. All this, these are acts of devotion hmm? and love. If you want to love God, then we, we, why don't we look, about, look at it in human terms? Hmm? If you love someone, then you, you like to feed them. What things do you love? Then you want to give them. So... Um, Sometimes it's said, what's the best thing to offer to Krishna? It's the things that you love the most, because then you can offer them with the most love. So, you know, pizza is not on the menu usually, but sometimes, you know, it, 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 usually there's Indian cuisine. So, you know, we, we, we change it here. We have some other proclivities and so forth, but with love. So, so this is a very, again, a very basic thing by which it's really... The eating is how we, you know, carry on and survive and struggle for existence, and how we perpetuate our material selves. This is like counteracting that at the core, the very thing that takes us towards animality, so to speak, and the competitive life of taking from the environment turns into something that takes us in the spiritual direction. Mm-hmm. It's a nice idea, and so the whole—that's the whole, you know—that's the whole idea of, you know, growing the food here and. Taking, I mean, beyond the sustainability in a material sense is a good idea. It's on, a, it's on a higher level as well. We'll be sustained by the deity. If the deity doesn't need it, you know, or, the, or we've offered to the guru, the guru, then, then we won't take it, then we'll, then we'll fast. Hmm? And so this is our renunciation. Hmm? We live only on the what, what's left over after offering it to Krishna. Of course, there's usually a fair amount left over. Um... um that's the basic principle. Now, that aside, or, or in, in relation to that, there may be instances where we do eat without offering it to the deity. But those instances are 
instances in which we need some food to continue some service, and we're not at the temple, or, 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 and so we eat, and we, in our mind we offer, but we eat and we think, with the, uh, we, we consciously think, with the energy that I derive from this, let it, all that energy be used in, in Krishna's service, something like that. Hmm. And so that takes the karma, if you will, out of eating, because you're taking from the environment, so you have to pay back. There's no payback here in this. It was, we call it karma-free food, something like that. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so the last thing is, why the, the separate kitchen one can't share two grinding cows or anything? Pots, nothing. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, uh, the idea there is, I, I think, that... Um, Krishna has his own pots, and you know he's the, he's God, and um, we're a little different. We're we're the servitors. He's the he's the served. So he has his own paraphernalia. Hmm? It includes his pots and pans, and, and they are worshipable also, so to speak. And so we on the the plates that we eat from. Hmm, we don't offer, for example, the food to Krishna on those plates because those are the plates for eating his remnants rather than for offering to him. Hmm? So it's kind of a kind of a a, a, a purity of sorts um, that uh, um, it doesn't apply as much. Um, in an ordinary sense, you would have pots of your own that you cooked for yourself hmm, in your house. Hmm? And we would say, oh, no, you've been cooking for yourself. We won't use those pots to cook for Krishna. You've been cooking in them to eat for yourself. We, we, so they've been, they've, been, they've been used as instruments for, of, of exploitation, in a sense. Which is eating is, itself is, is a form of exploitation. We're taking from the environment to sustain a sense of self that is illusory and false. It's here today and gone tomorrow. There is a there is some allowance, obviously, for that. You have to eat to live and and and, and pursue your spiritual life and so forth. But materialistically speaking, um, eating is about, like I said earlier, preserving your 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 sense of self. So the things that are used for that, and also the idea that we we try to avoid, uh, I want to say, the idea of. My desire to eat, to smell, to taste, entering into the offering. The offering should be for Krishna, his pleasure, not for mine. Hmm? Not that I'll taste it and I'll be thinking, this is going to taste great and I'm going to eat this and so forth. That should not enter into the offering. So only, usually we have certain people cook by uncertain standards and so forth and and they have a certain consciousness in which they're cooking, not to separately in, enjoy it. It's all for, for, for the for the pleasure of Krishna's senses. So you know, he has his own pots. It doesn't really. I'm not sure what. I guess what you're saying is, I guess in this little kitchen here, they have other pots for heating things up. And we can move back and forth. And, and to me, since we're trying to foster intimacy, yeah. it seems that we're developing kind of reverential things. Yeah. Well, I mentioned earlier that that the deity worship does have elements of reverential love to it, and therefore it's, it's, a, it's not the, the most prominent arms of bhakti in our path are hearing, chanting, and meditation. 
However, not everybody can meditate that well. It takes a purified heart and so forth. And we find that the deity worship uh, does foster deep experience and the capacity to meditate and so forth. So we do employ it, but it is... We are, you're right, we are cultivating intim- intimacy in, in, in love of God. That's true. Mm-hmm. But just I'll give you another example. In, in, in Krishna Leela, the devotees don't think that Krishna's God. Right? But in order to enter into the Leela, they do have to know that he's God first, and they have to pass through that, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So there's an element of reverence that, that helps us to pass th- through reverential God into intimacy. And, and, and also the Godhood of the Godhead, because Krishna is God, that's what makes the, the intimacy sweet. Hmm? Because he's God, but he's acting human-like. So I want to say, if you have a jewel, and then you put it on a black background, it will shine out that much more. So there's a background of reverence, so to speak, hmm? that makes intimacy what it, what it is. So we become philosophically acquainted with that, and to some extent in the deity worship, that is also in, invoked, but not as an end. Hmm? It's a means that will help us pass through reverential love into intimacy. And so you're right. And I'll tell you a story in this regard. Some time ago, in the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Vrindavan, Sanatana Goswami, one of our, the architects of our Sampradaya, immediate follower of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, was in Vrindavan, and doing bhajan and chanting, and he came across a lady, and uh, there were two beautiful young boys uh, there sitting in her company. And she was from a lower class, and she was cooking a kitri. Kitri is like, throw it all in, this, you know, like that. She was cooking this kitri with a stick. She was stirring it, and then she took the stick out and, and brushed her teeth with it. Hmm? And then she put it back in and stirred the kitri. And Sanatan, who was a Brahmin, you know, and, and uh, more sophisticated, so was, uh, not a good quality. And, and, uh, but then he was really charmed by the two boys that were there. And then the meal was prepared, and they ate that kitri, and they loved it. And, he, and, and, and then so he, then they left, and he, 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 he took off and he followed the boys. Hmm? You know, at some distance, he was following them. And they went into a temple. Hmm? And then he went into the temple. Then he saw them enter into the deity of Krishna and Balaram. Hmm? This is his experience. In, 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 and so then he thought, the deity, they're coming out and to this lady and she's cooking. So he went back to the lady the next morning and he said, that's the deity. You can't like do this, brush your teeth and then stir the pot like that. You can't do that. You know, you got to do it like this. You keep this stick over here for brushing and brush your teeth first and get clean, then come and cook. You're cooking for God. He's on altar there, you know, so so she says, okay, okay, I'll, yeah, I'll do it, you know. I don't these guys just come every morning and I cook. So she does all that and because she's doing all that, everything's taking longer to, to do. Hmm? And meanwhile, these boys show up in the morning 
And they become frustrated, like, what's going on here? You know, where's the meal? We're here, you know, what, what are we waiting for? And uh, she said, well, this guy, that, you know, he told me, to, you know. And then Tanatan realized how extraordinary her position was. And and, what, and he said, don't do it like that. You, you just brush your teeth with this and use it like that and do it like you were doing it, you know. <laughs> That's working great, you know. So... Um, <laughs> so she was uh, very much serving in, 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 in intimacy, as, as you're thinking about it. Hmm? There's a place for that. But that's not to be arrived at um, immediately. As I talked last night, the play of Krishna is an inner circle. If you're going to play, you're going to be around people you feel comfortable with, you've known for a while, who, who know you. And so the deity worship is kind of a way to start to get acquainted with the personality of Krishna, hmm? The times of his day uh, that that is kind of an outline of the day in the life of of Krishna and his Lila or Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and so forth and and um, and kind of like as you get to know him then he'll open open the door for the for the intimacy and so forth so we do approach with some some uh, awe and reverence of the deity we don't just uh, treat the deity like uh, like um, it, it, the intimacy, I want to say the intimacy is arising and expressing and manifesting beyond the bodily conception of life. How are you going to get intimate with Krishna when you're attached to a bag of blood and bones and, and, uh, and, 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 and so forth? And that's to some extent your conception of self, although you theoretically know otherwise. Uh, you have to have... Uh, to a large extent, transcended that for him to feel comfortable because then you're meeting him on his terms. In other words, if you want to enter a fire, you have to be on fire or you have to be fired. You can't enter the sun unless you've got a body made out of, out of light, something like that, or you would be destroyed. So this lila is enacted on a canvas of Advaigyantatva. Advaigyantatva means non-dual knowledge, having risen above the dualities of material existence that are based on sense perception and the mind, hmm? hot, cold, happiness, having risen above that through various spiritual practices that will foster that, one has some potential to um, associate, so to speak, in transcendence with the Godhead who is consciousness, not matter, having transcended to a large extent, let us say, your own preoccupation with matter and, and, and duality. So bhajan, the inner life, there's a, there's a life, there's a spiritual life that comes before the stage of bhajan and being able to, to um, enter into that and have these kind of experiences. Um, and that often requires regulating regulated life, controlling the mind and the senses and so forth. So let's say, like, for example, you want to be intimate with me. So you might want to hang out and do whatever and, um, and it's kind of, an, kind of uncontrolled senses. You just, you know, put your feet up on the table and if you're, if you're, if you're in intimacy, you're kind of just doing what you want. But now, what you, if you were to just do what you want, so to speak, you'd be doing... I don't mean you particularly, but I mean you'll be doing what what your senses tell you to do, hmm? because that's how you're largely identified. 
Hmm? Your, your sense of self, although theoretically we may know otherwise, they still pull on us and call on us and so forth until we, we have this phase in our spiritual life where we're restraining to some extent and striving to focus the mind, be mindful, um, be careful what we listen to because what we hear will just go in our head and give us other thoughts and what we speak, whom we associate with, what times we get up. So we're not really living like casually, so to speak. We're living a very um, regulated and yogic life. And so the deity worship kind of corresponds with that in terms of our stage, the early stage of the devotees as, as sadhakas. So if I was to say, for example, well, I'd like to be intimate with the deity, so that intimacy means, you know, I'll just do what I want, we'll hang out, you know, and, and, and so forth. Really what would we, we would be doing in our sense of intimacy is, as I say, answering to the demands of our senses. So you want to rise above that, hmm, so to speak. And then in the context of that, there's possibility of real intimacy with Bhagwan. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, so it sounds like you're saying that, um, you know, I guess I'm so unclear when it's appropriate to not be so rigid with the rules around here. I guess some of you are saying the rules of we can't ever use a drying top from our kitchen for there, for that kitchen. We can't ever use a pot, you know, that sort of thing. But when is it appropriate to think that it is reasonable to? Because um, it seems like you're saying that, you know, with a woman, you know, with her teeth and. You're talking about beginning sadhakas, you're talking about the three limbs that are really emphasized and we don't emphasize, you know, and so it does. So it sounds like what you're saying is that there are times that it's appropriate not to be so rigid about the rules, and so I'm interested in that. When Krishna says to you that, you know, don't do it like that, do it like this, then. So when Krishna, when, if the deity speaks to you and says, just bring me any towel, then you can just bring any towel. And then we'll take that towel, and then we worship that towel. <laughs> then we'll tell people, "Don't touch that towel. That towel should be worshipped. That, that, that towel stays over here." <laughs> Something. We have some light. We want to feel inspired. We have some light to, to do. So it seems most reasonable at the time. And should someone else approach us and say, "We can't do that," then we can say, "Well, this is a source of my inspiration. This is why I'm doing it." Uh, do well. Yeah, I, 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 it'd have to be a fairly good. Uh, Explanation, I suppose. I mean, in, in in one sense, the you know the rules probably seem a little overbearing at first, but after a while, it's just the way they do things here, and it's just it's it's not. It's just like you go anywhere, and you're not used to doing it like that, so the rules seem more prominent. But oh, once you enter into the atmosphere, it, it it's it becomes habitual, so to speak, and natural. I don't think they that after a while they feel like, well, this is a little cumbersome, I can't take this towel here, but I can see how it, and many devotees have the experience that you talked about in the beginning. Therefore, there's another side of this. The other side of this is, for persons who are novices in, in, in this particular lineage and practice and so forth, then, then, um, and I mentioned this the other day, but you, you probably forgot it or didn't hear exactly what I was saying, or understand, the devotees here, will tend to want to emphasize, don't do it like this, do it like that, put this here, put this there, and so And they're right about it. That's how they, we do the things here, and I've taught them that and so forth. But um, from my perspective, what's more important from that I would like to see in you in terms of your progressing is that you 
understand the philosophy, understand the teachings, and if you take the towel here and do it wrong, it's, a, it's not going to be as big of a thing. It's, 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 there's, there's, there's a purpose behind all these things, and, and in one sense, the feeling is what Krishna accepts rather than the form. But then again, the form has been dictated to us by great saints over thousands of years, so we don't want to dismiss that. We think, okay, they know Krishna liked it like that, so we'd like to do it like that. But um, just like, for example, one time we were sitting, we were young, we were sitting at Prabhupada's asana in the temple in Los Angeles, and he was up in his quarters, and we were singing the prayers and praise of the spiritual master. It says, one day, guru, shi, chadanadarindam, each, each uh, line of the asticam ends with, I offer my re- respects to the lotus feet of, of my guru. But we were singing... One day, uh, it was offer my lotus, my, my my respects to the lotus feet of a cow. <laughs> and so he heard it. And he said, "You're actually you know, saying it wrong, but I appreciate the feeling behind it." Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Pujapachitamar said, uh, "Krishna may say, I think you meant this, right? I was feeling this, but it sounded like that." But so Krishna is known as Baba Grahi Janardana. Means who accepts the feeling. Your heart is in the right place. You want to do it right. So that's what counts. So even if you do it wrong, hmm, then you can be doing it right. Hmm, this is the beginning step. But then at the same time, you want to learn to do it right, how it's been passed down. So you know, it's not like, uh-oh, he just put the towel in the wrong place. You know, it's the end of the world. You know, it's like, okay, it's a learning curve for how they, what they do things around here. That's not uh, the most important thing. I'm not so concerned that every new person knows how to do everything. I, I, that, they're, that they're inspired and they're understanding the teaching and so forth. Hmm? That help? Yeah, and this is an experience that probably all of them have had. <laughs> but then they go and, and, and cause other persons to have the same experience to some extent. Hmm? And, and uh, you know, newer devotees will tend sometimes to gravitate towards the uh, the form of things mm-hmm. rather than and, and the essence and, and that can be useful at a point at the point it can be counterproductive too mm-hmm. so all right I guess we've gone the full limit of our time she see go nitanandaki ja go bhaktarindaki ja